Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for that reminder that, Jesus, we can always run to you and you will never turn us away. Thank you for that reminder that when we thirst, when we're conscious, we have great need, that it's you we can run to. Those words make us think of the verses that follow the ones that were read to us just a few minutes ago in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you offer us that living water, that water that comes to us by your Holy Spirit, that is life and life abundant and life eternal in you. Speak to us about that life this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray for your glory. Amen. Amen. Yeah, can I just add my thanks so much to the uh, young people for the reading and the prayer. Talk about um, having how to read the Bible and how to pray modelled to us on a Sunday morning. That was That was fantastic. Thank you so much for that. So I thought I'd ask you at the start to um, think about what it feels like when you get to the end of a great holiday, maybe a summer holiday. Um, maybe think back to last summer or thinking ahead, God willing, to the summer holiday you can have this summer. How does it feel when you get to the end of the holiday? You know, the, the life you're going back to, for most of us, I'm sure it's, it's nice enough. And maybe even the thought of going back to school and work isn't too terrible. I often find at the end of my holiday, say, say in Pendine on the coast, that um, I just wish I could stay on holiday because there, there are so many things I know I'm going to miss when I go back to the real world or the normal life. Uh, I'll miss the lie-ins. <clears throat> I'll miss the beach. Uh, I'll, miss, I'll certainly miss the lack of work. Uh, I'll miss the food, maybe, the company. Now, all these sorts of things at the end of a great holiday make us think that we're quite happy, thank you very much, to stay on holiday. And here's the thing, I think for too many of us Christians, <clears throat> this is how we feel when we consider the end of this life and the world to come. It's a bit like when we get to the end of a great holiday. We're willing to go, but we'd be much happier to stay. If we're honest about it, just examine your own heart this morning. Is that you? When you think about the future, when you think about eternity and then compare it to this life now, for all life's difficulties right now, how do you feel about that? So often, I think, we're willing to go to heaven, but we're happier to stay. And it actually should be absolutely the other way around. So today, when we, as we get now near to the very end of the story of Revelation, we see the Christian's future, which includes a host of things that actually we should delight to leave behind. We will, of course, when we leave this world as it is now, we'll leave behind some sweet things and some sweet memories by God's grace. They will pale into insignificance because of what lies ahead for us. And of course, these things that we will leave behind in this life are just another way of anticipating what lies ahead. In Revelation 21 and 22, we've now moved from this age that we're living in right now to the new age, age to come. Jesus, as we saw last time, has returned. Evil has been judged at the great white throne of judgment. And a new creation is starting to break in. And various things we find in, in Revelation 21, and I'm going to look at the very start of Revelation 22 as well. Various things we find are missing from the new creation. Things which we'll rejoice to see the back of, 
even more, even more than we were rejoiced to see the back of all these coronavirus restrictions, there are other things in this life that when we move on to the life to come, we will rejoice to leave them behind. I've got a list of them this morning. I could have come up with a massive list. I've whisked it down to a list of seven. I'm going to rattle through as quickly as I can. Seven things that will be missing from the new creation. Before I start listing them, can I just say what my aim is this morning as the Holy Spirit helps us? My aim is that as we look at these seven things, we will be cultivating a homesickness for heaven, for the new creation, a homesickness that will, by the Spirit's power, transform our lives now and also cause us to point others to the hope that we have. So the aim is that as we look at our glorious tomorrow, it transforms our today. As we look at our tomorrow, as the Bible pictures it, that will transform our today. That's the aim. So let's dive into the seven things that will be missing from the new creation, shall we? Thing number one, and it's a pretty big thing, actually, the universe as we know it. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, that John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. New heaven and a new earth, which means that the universe as we know it right now is passing away. And that's a pretty big thing to pass away, isn't it? Did you notice that the, the historical Jerusalem, geographical Jerusalem as it is this morning, is not the centre of new creation? We have to look forward to something called the new jerusalem is verse two i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband jesus doesn't in revelation 21 doesn't enter jerusalem like he did on palm sunday at his return at the end of time he will bring with him a new jerusalem and new jerusalem is another yet another glorious symbol it's a picture we don't need to expect a literal cubed city. If you look further ahead in the passage, you'll, you'll read um, in chapter 21, verse 16, that the New Jerusalem is described as basically a cube 1,000 miles across, one well, sorry, 1,400 miles across, 1,400 miles deep, 1,400 miles high. But we don't need to expect a literal cubed city that's, that's half the footprint of the United States of America. No. This is yet another wonderful symbol of something, and it's a symbol of Earth's renewal, of heaven and Earth being reconnected for the first time since the beginning. We are ending, as we get to chapter 21 of Revelation, the Bible story, in other words, where it began, with a perfect creation, which is perfectly unified with heaven. What that means is, as we leave behind of Jesus' return, the old universe and a new universe is created, that the things that, that pain us now and the things we stress and worry about now will be things of the past. For example, global warming will be a non-issue in the new creation. Natural disasters that cause so, wreak so much havoc and take human lives will be gone. Nature being abused by humankind and, and nature turning on humankind will be gone. That the groaning of creation that's described in Romans 8, for example, will be gone. So the universe as we know it will be gone on that day when Jesus returns and ushers in 
the new heaven and the new earth. Notice that the new Jerusalem that symbolizes the new creation, it descends from heaven. It comes from God. This is symbolic of the fact that humanity, for all its efforts and all its ingenuity and all its power and all the power of science, humanity cannot make creation new. Only God can. Creation will be renewed, but that renewal will not happen through science or love of the planet. That creation will happen because the creator has made all things new. So that's the first big thing that we will leave behind. The first thing missing from our future as Christians. Here's the second thing. Opposition and exile for Christians will be over. Opposition and exile will be gone. You might wonder where I'm getting that from. I'm actually getting it from the very end of verse one. I wonder if verse one, when it was read out earlier, concerned you if you're a lover of the seaside. Listen to the end of verse one of chapter 21. And there was no longer any sea. When I read that, I think, I love the sea. I, I love the view of the sea when we go on holiday to Pendine. Does that concern you? Well, I don't think we need to, get, again, take this literally. That's a wonderful symbol of something. The fact that in the new creation, there will not be any sea. I don't think the sea will literally be missing anymore. The sun and moon will be missing. Further on in chapter 21, verse 23, it's mentioned that we don't need the sun and moon in the new creation anymore. I don't think the point is that there won't be a sun and moon in the new creation. I think the point is we don't need them because Jesus is the light of the new creation. It's the same with the sea. I think there will be a literal sea, but the sea in Revelation is representative, if you remember, when we've seen it previously, of evil forces and of hostile nations. All that will be gone. The devil and his demons will be gone, cast into the lake of fire, no more to torment God's people. The division between warring or vying nations won't be there anymore in the new creation. There won't be any bickering and arguments between the UK and the EU anymore in the new creation because those entities won't exist. The, the division between nations that's symbolised by the ocean will be gone in the new creation. And, and possibly when we think of there not being any sea anymore, possibly we're also meant to think of it from the point of view of John the Apostle. Where is he when he's writing these visions down? He's on an island, exiled on the island of Patmos. So probably the sea here is also meant to make us think of separation. Isn't this a wonderful thought? That in the new creation, when Jesus comes back, there will be no more goodbyes. No more heart-rending separations. The absence of the sea stands for all these wonderful things. There will be no more opposition to the church anymore. No more exile, feeling like we're strangers in this world, and no more painful separations. Presumably, by the way, there will also be trees and creatures and culture and technology in the new creation. Because, yes, it's new, but it's a renewal of the way things God made things in the, made things in the very first place. All the things that are wonderful in this creation, there's very good reason to think they will all remain. But all that's bad and evil is gone, ended, defeated. And the new creation that Jesus died to bring has come. That's the second thing that will be missing in the Christian's future. Here's the third thing. Now, bear with me, because that may look heretical, that third point. I'm going to try and explain it. God who dwells in heaven will be missing from the new creation. Hear me out. What I mean is this. God's special, glorious, full, beautiful presence 
in the new creation will not only be seen and experienced in heaven, but will fill creation. Look at verse 22 of chapter 21. We read these words. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. But this has already been hinted at in verse 3 of chapter 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. When we read there about God's dwelling place and about him dwelling, it's literally tabernacle. His tabernacle will be amongst them. He will tabernacle with them. The imagery of the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament is applied to, to this wonderful truth that when Jesus returns, God will not just dwell in the holy place of the temple, but all of creation now will be filled with his presence. That's why there's no longer an earthly temple necessary in the new creation. Well, there's no rebuilt temple mentioned in the New Testament. There is no restricted holy of holies where God's special presence is manifested in the new creation. No Jerusalem temple needs to be rebuilt because the new creation will be the temple. You notice, did you catch that a few minutes ago, that the new Jerusalem is described as a perfect cube? I wonder if that made you think of anything in particular in your, from your Old Testaments. In the Old Testament, the holy place in the tabernacle and the holy place in the temple was a perfect cube. The, the, the new creation will be the holy place. God's presence will fill it all. The dwelling of God will now not be in a small physical holy place with all of humanity on a new renewed earth. In other words, God's glorious presence that since Genesis 3 has been restricted to heaven and also to the Holy of Holies in the temple, will now fill creation. The Holy of Holies, the place where God dwells in all his magnificent beauty, will have expanded to fill the whole cosmos. God, in other words, will be constantly and experientially and relationally everywhere present in the new creation. If I can sum all this up with a phrase, I think I'd put it this way. When Jesus returns, God will not only be up there, but he will be right here. Or to put it yet another way, as we read there later on in chapter 21, God and the Lamb, Jesus, are the temple in the new creation. The new creation will not be wonderful, firstly, because of its built-in beauties. It's beauties that will eclipse the most loved and beautiful place in the world for you. No, the new creation will be wonderful because of the immediate, beautiful, totally enjoyed presence of God and Jesus and the sevenfold Holy Spirit. Do you know these words from him? The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory on my king of grace, not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand, the lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. That's what I mean when I say that a God who, who dwells in heaven only would be a thing of the past in the new creation. So that's the first three things. And the first three things are like the major headlines. John's vision also drills down further and very practically and very personally. And we see the next thing now that will be missing from the Christian's future. 
that we will leave behind, and that is hurting bodies and minds. Look at chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Death, sorrow, crying, pain, broken bodies, broken spirits, broken minds will be a thing of the past. The bad news, I, I, you probably don't consider it bad news, the bad news for those of you here this morning who are medics of any description, doctors, nurses, physios, the bad news for those of you psychologists or psychotherapists is that in the new creation you're looking for new jobs. The good news is that you will have new jobs, glorious new jobs you will perfectly enjoy, um, you will do in your new bodies in the new creation, but those jobs, if those are the jobs you do now, they'll be gone, there'll be no need for them anymore. This is the Easter hope that we're celebrating next, next weekend and we'll look at in more detail on Easter Sunday afternoon. That your body, Christian, will carry on into the new creation, but it will be a glorious, renewed body with no more flaws, no more diseases of body or mind or spirit. In other words, you and I will be part of the completed new creation. If you're a Christian, the Bible tells you that you are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, the Bible tells us. So the new creation has already begun in you, Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus. But when Jesus returns and when the new creation, all its fullness comes in, then we will be part of the new creation completed and the new creation will be completed in us. If you're struggling this morning in your body or in your mind and it feels like you're struggling in your very spirit, that will one day soon be a thing of the past because your hurting bodies and minds will be things of the old creation, not the new. Let me move on. Here's the fifth thing will be a thing of the past in the new creation. Something missing in the new creation will be the evil things in our news feeds. Look at verses, uh, verse eight of chapter 21. Cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Defilement and abominations and lies and immorality and murder and idolatry. In other words, all the evil things that human beings are guilty of before God will be gone. Do you hate, do you dread looking at your newsfeed? And you find yourself looking anyway. I certainly do. That will be a thing of the past. This also means, of course, for those who are police officers or work in the law courts or social services, your jobs also will be a thing of the past. Because we will live in a creation where there is no more feeling of dread, no wondering whether to check the news feed or not. No bad news, because the good news in Jesus has now completely and finally done its work. Because of Jesus, all the bad news will be dead. There will be no more anxiety, no more vulnerability. Evil has been judged and cast into the lake of fire. Can I just ask you, as you're hearing this stuff, maybe for the umpteenth time, maybe someone here for the first time is hearing this this morning, are you finding yourself thinking, as, as we're seeing this picture of the new creation, this is a place I want to go. I mean, th this is a place you want to go, right? Christian, it's yours. This is... This is sure, this is certain, this is where you're going. And, and if you're not a Christian yet, this is offered to you. This is offered to anyone who will put their trust in Jesus and follow him, follow Jesus the Lamb, wherever he leads. Evil in our news feeds will one day be a thing of the past. 
Let me give you another thing. And again, this, this heading might bother some people, but I'm going to try and justify what I'm saying. The sixth thing missing from the new creation will be local churches. If you look at verse 9, um, you read this. There is a day. That's not me, I don't think. <laughs> I like it, though. There is a day coming. Good, good cue. Verse 9 says this. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. As Dave showed us recently, the bride stands for the church, but the church in all her glory perfected when Jesus returns. And that will be the bride's wedding day, as we saw recently, when Jesus returns. This, this, bride of, this image of the bride shows us the church won't just be a part of the new creation. The church, in a very real sense, will be the essence of God's new creation. So the new Jerusalem that we've seen in chapter 21 stands for the presence of God, yes. But the new Jerusalem is also described as the bride. So the church is, is a place and the church is also the bride made glorious for a wedding day. New creation, as we've seen so far, is a presence, yes, the presence of God with his people. And the new creation is a place, the new Jerusalem, but the new creation is also a people, and that people is the church. The church is at the center of God's plans for the history of the universe. Which means that every meeting, every worship song, every highlight of sweet fellowship is a foreshadowing of the new creation that will come when Jesus returns. We as individuals, individual Christians, as we as a church body are the new creation begun. And then we will be part of the new creation. We will be the new creation completed. Do you realize that we as the church now, believe it or not, are a foretaste of this, all this. And we are a pointer to this church as the temple of God points forward to this reality. We're the temple of God now, but God's temple presence then will not be limited to a bunch, bunches of gathered Christians, gathered and separated Christians, marginalized Christians in a world that is against the church. No, no. The new creation will be the church. The new creation will be the church filling creation. So there won't be local churches separated and dotted here and there across the world on that day. No, the people in the new creation will be the church, the bride married to the lamb, to the bridegroom Jesus. Church perfected, creation renewed and that renewal completed. I can sum all of this up, try and sum all this up. There's a seventh thing we can say is missing from the new creation, which which brings all this under its umbrella and that's the curse jumping ahead to chapter 22 we didn't read the very start of chapter 22 but i'm referring to it now we read this in verse 3 after we've seen about the river of the water of life and the tree of life and the beauty of the new jerusalem we read no longer will there be any curse no longer any curse what does that mean curse we use that word means swearing or a gypsy's curse against somebody but in bible terms the curse means what happened at the start of genesis in genesis 1 and 2 everything's perfect and then adam and eve sin and humanity plunges into sin and rebellion against god 
And God in his holiness and justice has to bring humanity and by extension, all of creation under a curse. The curse of struggle and tears and hardship and ultimately death. That's what the curse means. When Jesus returns and the new creation comes in, the curse is gone. Curse is reversed. This one phrase, there will be no curse, sums up the whole of the new creation. Curse has already, of course, been lifted for the Christian because of the cross of Jesus. Condemnation for our sin is gone. Spiritual death is no longer anything we need to fear anymore. That's gone. And when Jesus returns, every vestige of the curse will be completely gone. The ultimate effect of the cross will be seen. We see it in our lives already now, knowing there's no condemnation for us. But when Jesus returns, Eden will be restored. Did you see the, the, the language there at the start of chapter 22? The river of the water of life, a tree of life. This is the language of Eden. Eden will be restored, except it will be even better than Eden. So we can expect the stuff we read of in the early chapters of Genesis. Do you, do you remember those words in, in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve, they're hiding from God because they've sinned. And yet there's a wonderful word there because we read that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That was just like a normal thing for God to do in the original creation before humanity rebelled against God and sinned. And that will be restored in the new creation. We're back in the last two chapters of the Bible to where we were in the first two chapters of the Bible, except it's even more glorious. God is no longer up there. God is now here. And the words of verse four, these wonderful words of verse four of chapter 22, speaking of believers in glory, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. They will see his face. What, what does this mean that we will see his face? Is that talking about Jesus or is that talking about God the Father? I think the answer to that question is yes, it's both. Yes, we will see Jesus' human face, but we will also experience the smile, the face of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We will somehow, in a way we don't yet understand, see the invisible God. We will see the face of God. In other words, we will know the blessing of his smile. In, in Numbers chapter 6, we read the blessing of Aaron upon the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. That was a prayer that was prayed for the people of Israel. And we pray regularly as church. That will one day be fully realized when Jesus returns. Because in the new creation, listen, Christian, you and I will see the face of God, the human face of Jesus. Yes, but we will experience the smile and the, the full, beautiful presence of God himself. What a, what a glorious end to the story of the Bible, right? These last two chapters of Revelation, what a glorious end to the story. Yes, except it's not the end. Because the end of the Bible as it speaks about the end of this age, is really just the beginning of our eternal story as Christians. However long the Christian lives, however long a life you have, the end of your earthly journey will just, just be the beginning of a far, far longer and better story. You know, at the end of the last battle, which is one of my favourite C.S. Lewis books, the end of the Narnia series of stories. 
I, I, I won't say too much about the setting just so I don't want to give any spoilers. If you haven't read the book, you need to read the book. As the children find themselves again with Aslan, and Aslan, of course, stands for Jesus. This time they realize that they're not heading back to this world at the end of their adventure. At the end of every other adventure, they head back to this world. At the end of the last battle, they don't. And we hear this interaction between Aslan and the children. Aslan says, do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. And Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan. And you have sent us back into our world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? And their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. And Aslan said, the term is over. Holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, and for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What a wonderful end to the last battle. The end of this world story is just the beginning for you, Christian. Think on this, Christian. Think about your tomorrow in Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to use that to transform your today to transform your worship, your witness, your sense of wonder, to transform your perspective. You know, I, just this last couple of weeks, I've been thinking, you know, if someone says something that hurts me, that slights me, that offends me, what does that matter in light of the fact that the Lamb, Jesus, has saved me from hell, the hell I deserve, and given me this hope of an ending and increasing joy? This hope of my tomorrow can absolutely transform every aspect of my day, my today. The term will soon be over holidays are coming i should be getting more and more excited and on fire for jesus every day let me pray lord i thank you for these seven things that we will leave behind in the new creation and there's more besides that we could mention i pray that you'll help me and every one of us this morning as we read over and think over these wonderful verses to be gripped with excitement for the reality that lies ahead of us as Christians. Thank you that on that day that Jesus returns, the term is over, the holidays have begun, and we enter a, a, a perfectly to be enjoyed, wonderful future with Jesus our Savior. Thrill us, Holy Spirit, with these truths so that our hope of tomorrow transforms our today. For Jesus' sake, we ask all these things. Amen. <laughs>